This dynamic message is brought to you by Redemption in Jesus with Marco Rava. So this morning, I'm going to start sharing a series with us. Now, this is not going to be one of those series that is going to go, you know, one installment after the other, and we're going to get through it until we're done. We may, we may not. We may have different messages in between. This is more the kind of series that we'll teach on as time goes on, and then we'll, you know, it'll be compiled together, and it'll be a series. And so the series itself will be titled, the freeing truth about and then each time we will have a different aspect a different biblical truth a different scriptural truth that we will study and discuss and just enjoy and see the freeing truth about that so today we are starting with looking at the freeing truth about the unpardonable sin all right so that's what we're going to study today I know that the aspect of the unpardonable sin is a concern for many believers. Out in Christendom, there are many who fear that they have committed the unpardonable sin or fear committing the unpardonable sin, or some are just not sure if they have or if they haven't, and so they live with the fear that they may have done it and hope that they haven't. And so this is something that we need to address, that we want to study. We want to refresh our theology, our doctrine understanding about to make sure that we are well established in gospel truth. But more than that, freeing truth, because God never intended to put us in bondage in any way whatsoever. And so, yes, there are many different interpretations of this. Of this. Uh, there are many people who preach and teach it very hardcore, very legalistic and basically bring fear upon people and make them scared. Now, you know, that's exactly what legalism is designed to do. It's designed to put fear in someone so that they don't do something. But then you have to ask yourself, is it really coming from the heart or is it just coming out of fear? I don't think God wants us living in fear. Now, I received salvation in Jesus at the age of 13. I am 56 now. But at the age of 13 is when I, you know, someone invited us to church and we went and I heard the gospel and I heard salvation in Jesus. That was the first time I really understood what it meant to receive salvation in Jesus. And so I stepped forward to the platform, you know, at that time, <laughs> that's how the invitation was made. And so I went forward and I gladly, as a young teenage boy, received salvation in Jesus. And then, of course, the environment that I was in, the environment that I was discipled in, because there was no different environment, there was no better environment, in my opinion. Uh, it was, you know, they mixed law with grace. The teaching was mixed. And so I would hear about the wonderful grace of God, the love of God. But at the same time, I would hear about all these do's and don'ts and what the consequences would be. And then I would think to myself, okay, so did Jesus do it at all as far as redeeming me? Or did he only do what he could? And then I have to take it from there after salvation and make sure that I stay saved by what I do or what I don't do. And so for a long time, I was confused about that. And praise God for gospel truth, as we have been sharing with you. But I remember as a young man, shortly after having received salvation in Jesus, probably within six months, I remember hearing a teaching. Now, this was legalistically interpreted. 
And so it was taught with fear. It was taught with the intent to keep me in line. It was taught with the intent um, to motivate me to live godly more out of fear than out of the heart. And so I heard this teaching about the unpardonable sin and how a believer could commit this unpardonable sin. This is what I was taught. This is what I heard. And so I remember, and we'll look at it in a moment, but I remember going home after that lecture that night and thinking to myself, oh my goodness, I, I, don't, I may not be actually saved. And for months, in actual fact probably a year or two, I lived with this fearful concern that I could not really be saved, that I may be just trying to fool myself in my mind, thinking that I was saved, but I really wasn't. And I remember going through the notions of just having this concern because, and I'm going to be honest and transparent with you today, during that time, now I have never been one who used bad words. I've never been one to, you know, cuss and speak bad language. I just don't think it befits a gentleman. I just don't, besides just being a Christian, I just don't think (laughs) it's a language that a person with dignity would use. Now, that's my opinion. You can do whatever you like with my opinion. I was raised that way. So it's not that I don't cuss because I'm a Christian or because I'm a believer. That is part of my motivation now. But even before I received salvation, I just never could handle bad language in my mouth. I just didn't think that it was necessary for my life. I just, to me, it was something that was below me. And I believe in striving higher. And to me, bad language is just not <laughs> the standard that I wanted to live by. So I've never really been one who cursed to use bad words or anything like that. And so, but yet, you know, we live in this fallen body. There's the carnal, carnality aspect of us. And I remember after hearing that lecture on the unpardonable sin, which basically is blaspheming the Holy Spirit, I remember not shortly after that, (laughs) probably within days, these thoughts began to come into my mind. And in my mind, without voicing it, bad words were attached to the Holy Spirit. And these would kind of rehearse in my mind. And I thought to myself, I thought to myself, what is going on? I don't speak bad language. It's not part of my vernacular. I just don't, I don't like it. I don't have a taste for it. I think it's below me. I just think it's, it's not part of my dignity. Why are these thoughts specifically in relation to the Holy Spirit? And, you know, long story short, looking back now, I realized that it was the enemy trying to put those thoughts in my mind or putting those thoughts in my mind. And my flesh was, you know, engaging in it. And so... To make me think that I was the one blaspheming the Holy Spirit and therefore I was the one committing the unpardonable sin. All with the goal of making me think that I had lost my salvation or that I really wasn't saved and that I was doomed for eternity. And so, you know, today I think about that experience and I have a chuckle. I laugh at it. I can speak about it, you know, freely and loosely, if you will. But back then... For, for a long time, like I said, probably months, if not a year or two, it was a dreadful thing. I was tormented by it. I was desperately tormented by it. And I, and I couldn't speak to anyone because if I went to my pastor, you know, he may just reaffirm what I've been thinking. And besides, what would he think of me? Would he, you know, he would probably say, oh, no, we don't want you in leadership. We don't want you involved. And 
Maybe they would kick me out of the church. All these foolish things, this foolish game that the devil plays in our minds sometimes when we allow him to do that. And so that's what happened with me. And praise God after prayer and seeking God and just saying, Lord, help me. Help me see truth. Eventually, eventually, truth came and it set me free. And that's why I want to share this with you today. So it's not only as a result of personal experience that happened a long time ago, but also <laughs> it is something that does p pop up now and then. And you may come across people, you may in actual fact be dealing with this now, but you're going to come across people who maybe have walked away from God or want to walk away from God or don't really get as close to God, have concerns because they think they may have committed the unpardonable sin. They may have blasphemed the Holy Spirit. So that's what we want to look at today. Now, this unpardonable sin, and most people know it that way in Christendom, but really <laughs> it is also known as the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. That's the correct scriptural terminology for it, and we'll have a look at it in a moment. Now, let me state correctly, that sin, or the blasphemy in the Holy Spirit at least, is unforgivable and eternal. So someone who truly blasphemed the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven and that it stands for eternity. So it is something very serious and you'll see that now in a moment. And so if for any reason you or someone you know lives in fear of having committed or things that th they may have committed the unpardonable sin or have blasphemed the Holy Spirit, I want to tell you that Satan likes nothing more than to keep you living that way. He wants to keep you thinking that you have to make you doubt your salvation, make you doubt that God loves you and live a defeated Christian life and hopefully eventually walk away from it. That's his goal. And so you need to understand that this is not God or you that have done this. So let's take a look and let's read the portion that helps us see this and understand this. Now this is Jesus speaking in Matthew chapter 12, verse 31 and 32. Watch this. He says, Wherefore I say unto you, All manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto them, unto men. But the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. So Jesus himself said it. He says, all kinds of blasphemy, all kinds of sin, they can be forgiven, they will be forgiven. He says, but anyone who blasphemes the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven. Then he says in verse 32, And whosoever <laughs> speaketh the word against the Son of Man... It shall be forgiven him. But whoever speaketh against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him. Look at that. Neither in this world, neither in the world to come. So basically what he says there is that someone who blasphemes the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven here on earth in this life, neither in eternity which is to come. So you can see from that, this is something very serious. And the fact that Jesus said it, and it quotes, Matthew quotes Jesus, makes it even more 
meaningful in the sense that we need to take it to heart and take it serious. We can't just say, oh, well, I don't like this. I'm going to ignore it. I'm not going to read it. Some people think that if they just ignore something in the Bible, it doesn't make a truth in their life. Well, it's very true, isn't it? Now, this very same account, which we're not going to, well, we're going to touch on it here and there from those other references, but you'll see that this account where we've just seen is also found in Mark chapter 3, verse 22 to 30, and also in Luke chapter 12, specifically in verse 10. So, three different apostles, three different accounts record the exact same thing that we've seen in Matthew here. So that tells us that out of two or three witnesses, we see that there is a truth. Jesus did say, anyone who speaks, who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven and it stands for eternity. And that's why it, is, it has become known and it is called the unpardonable sin. Now, just in case you think, <laughs> this is where this is going for you, <clears throat> just in case you think, I'm about to put a guilt upon you and make you think that you've committed it. Just relax. I'm going to share gospel truth. Remember, the title of this message is The Freeing Truth About the Unpardonable Sin. In other words, what I'm going to share with you is truth, truth of the gospel that is going to free you from this concern, from thinking that you may have committed it or that you could commit it. It's going to set you free. And I'm going to show it all to you from Scripture. And we're going to read everything in context we're going to let the Bible interpret the Bible, and we're going to look at everything through the lens of the finished book of the cross, so it will certainly set us free. Amen? So it's something that we cannot ignore. So let's begin by looking at what Jesus meant by blasphemy. Let's go, and, and what I did is I went and I looked at several sources to look at the original word used in the Greek for blasphemy. As you know, Scripture was written in ancient Aramaic, Hebrew, and Greek. The Old Testament was mostly written in ancient Aramaic and Hebrew. The New Testament was written in Greek, except for Matthew. Matthew was written in Hebrew, then translated into Greek, and that's why it's also part of the Greek translation of the entire New Testament. But <clears throat> we need to go and look at those original sources so that we can see what that word actually means, so that we can have a better understanding of it. And so when Jesus said, blasphemy against the Holy Ghost will not be forgiven, where he said, he who speaketh blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Well, let's see what that word blasphemy means from the original. And so we're going to use the helps word studies. It's a lexicon that is um, that really has great definitions and easy to understand. So watch this from the helps word studies. <laughs> he has the word blasphemy. There's the number of the word if you want to study it in a concordance. And it's the word blasphemia. Something like that. And it comes from two different Greek words. So it's a compound of two words. Okay? From, it comes from the word blacks, which means sluggish or slow. And then it comes from the word femi, which means reputation or fame. And that put together is blasphemy. So literally what it means is slow, sluggish to call something good that really is good and slow to identify what is truly bad that really is bad. See that in the middle of the definition there? 
So it's when someone is slow to admit and say, yes, that's actually good. And it really is good. And they are slow to identify something bad as really bad. So in other words, it's someone who is reluctant to acknowledge good and is someone who is reluctant to acknowledge something as bad or evil. Then it goes on and it says, watches, switches, in other words, changes it, switches right for wrong, wrong for right, that is, calls what God disapproves right, which exchanges the truth of God for a lie. And we see an example of that in Romans one twenty-five. So basically, <laughs> the word blasphemy, what it means, specifically in the case of Matthew chapter 12, where we saw Jesus use the, use the word blasphemy, what it really means then is, is that when someone switches the meaning, that is, in other words, attributes the presence and work of the Holy Spirit to Satan, that's when someone commits blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, which is unforgivable. In other words, what I'm saying to you is, is that when Jesus said, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, and it's eternal, what he really meant is, is when someone sees the presence, when someone experiences the presence and the work of the Holy Spirit, and then goes and says, that's not good, it's actually evil, it's bad, they switch it, that's blasphemy. So in other words, it's when someone says, oh, that wasn't God, that was the devil who did that. That's blasphemy. Okay? So, <clears throat> and I'm going to explain it a little bit more now, in a moment. Now, another important aspect to note in what we've seen in that portion that we've just read about Jesus and what he said, is, is that he says specifically about blasphemy. He said it in relation to himself, himself specifically as a person here on earth. Are you with me? That's something we've got to remember. Remember, when you read the Bible, you have to read it in context, but also read what it says. Just don't try and read what you, what you think you understand. Just read it and understand it. So to help us understand all of that put together with a definition and the understanding of what blasphemy means, let's read the immediate context of what happened there when Jesus said that, and it will help us see clearly what I mean and what he meant and what the word blasphemy, why he used the word blasphemy, okay? So let's read that portion again in context now. So we're going to read it from verse 22 all the way to verse 32, and this time we're going to read it from the Amplified Translation that way I don't have to, you know, explain or amplify anything. It'll do it all for us. So, let's read that. Matthew chapter 12, verse 22 to 32. It says, Then a demon-possessed man, who was blind and mute, was brought to Jesus, and he healed him, so that the mute man both spoke and saw. Look at that. What a wonderful miracle. He has someone who couldn't see, who couldn't speak, and apparently it was because a demon did that to him, and Jesus healed him. So obviously Jesus rebuked this evil spirit out of the man. Then it says in verse 23, All the people wondered in amazement and said, Could this be the son of David, the Messiah? 
But the Pharisees, now you know those are the religious legalistic leaders of their day. But the Pharisees heard it and said, watch this, and here is the key. This man, so they're talking about Jesus. This man casts out demons only by the help of Beelzebel, Satan, the prince of demons. See that? So they saw the presence of the Holy Spirit. You can leave that on there. They saw the presence of the Holy Spirit. They saw the work of the Holy Spirit through Jesus and in Jesus. And instead of attributing that to God, what they did is they attributed it to Satan. And they said, the reason why Jesus could do this is because he himself is demon-possessed. And by his demonic power, he healed this man and did this miracle. And that's what Jesus referred to as blasphemy. Can you see how they switched and they attributed what the Holy Spirit did to Satan? But specifically in relation to Jesus. See that? Let's continue reading. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said to them, Any kingdom that is divided against itself is being laid waste. And no city or house divided against itself will continue to stand. If Satan casts out Satan, that is, his demons, he has become divided against himself and disunited. How then will his kingdom stand? Can you see how he's basically explaining what they were thinking and what they thought and what they said? If I cast out demons by the help of Beelzebul, Satan, by whom do your sons drive them out? He's talking about those they raised up in leadership in their legalistic religion and those who were specifically known as exorcists. They basically specialized in casting out demons under Jewish law under the Pharisees, and that's who he's referring to. So what he's saying this is that if you're saying that I'm the one casting out demons by the power of the devil, demons, then your exorcists, those of under your religion, who are they casting out demons by? Whose power? He says that probably the same power then, if that's your theory. For this reason, they will be your judges. In other words, then explain to them how you approve of them but you disapprove of me, if that's the case. Then he says in verse 28, But if it is by the Spirit of God, see that? <laughs> that I, notice, he says that I, because they were speaking about him, that I cause demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you before you expected it, or how can anyone go into a strong man's house and steal his property unless he first overpowers and ties up the strong man, then he will ransack and rob his house. So what Jesus, in essence, in what he is saying there, is he's explaining and giving them an analogy to understand and qualify his point. So in context, Jesus is explaining that he is the one binding Satan, who is the strong man in, in what he just shared, and he is freeing people from his control. That's in essence what he's saying when he said that in the last phrase. And so he is stating that his authority, that's Jesus' authority, comes from God. And his power to perform those miracles comes from the Holy Spirit. Pretty powerful, isn't it? He who is not with me once and for all on my side is against me. 
and he who does not unequivocally gather with me scatters. So you can see from that that he basically qualifies and clears up the point. He says, you are saying that I'm doing this by the power of evil, and it's not the case, because Satan is not that stupid to do that to himself and divide himself in his kingdom. He says, and besides, who do your exorcists then uh, cast our demons by? Go and ask them. They'll judge you. They'll tell you. And then he says, he gives them an example, and he says, you know, if you want to free people, you go and free them from someone who's holding them in bondage. And he says, that's what I'm doing. And basically, in essence, he says, I'm doing that by the Spirit of God. So now we continue, and this is where now, now that we understand the context, and we understand the background of what Jesus said, watch now how it will make sense. Verse 31, he says, therefore, in other words, can you see this is connected to what just happened? It's all part of the same context. You see, part of the problem sometimes is when people read Scripture, because there's a verse number next to it, they think it's a different point, and it's not part of a context. And that's not the case, as you know. Chapter numberings, verse numberings, were only finalized in the late 1500s, put in Scripture to help us find Scripture. But you need to read the whole thing in context, right? So he says, therefore... In other words, because of everything I've just said, I say to you, every sin and blasphemy, every evil abuse of injurious speaking or indignity against sacred things will be forgiven people. But blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Can you see how in that point, Jesus now qualifies and he says, the fact that you are attributing what the Holy Spirit has done to Satan, specifically in relation to me, that's Jesus, he says, that is blasphemy, and that is something that will not be forgiven and stands for eternity. Can you see that? So that's what that is. Then he goes on and he says in verse 32, Whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, watches by attributing the miracles done by me to Satan, will not be forgiven. Can you see how Jesus was specifically speaking about a specific situation and about a specific person, namely himself? And he says, you religious people who have witnessed the Holy Spirit working through me, performing miracles, you are attributing all that to Satan. That will not be forgiven and that will stand for eternity. Then he says, will not be forgiven either in this age or in the age to come. In other words, it is going to have eternal consequence. So, from that so far, from that immediate context, we have seen how the context shows us that first and foremost, Jesus was defending the source of his authority and power, namely God and the Holy Spirit, right? Secondly, <laughs> we see that the religious leaders who witnessed Jesus' miraculous healing of this blind and mute man, they attributed the work and presence of the Holy Spirit to Satan when they saw it in and through Jesus. Right? Thirdly, we see that that's the reason why Jesus states that their deliberate and willful action God sees as blasphemy and unforgivable. And I mean, doesn't it make sense? I mean, if someone, specifically someone who is religious, 
and who supposedly knows and understands the law of God, someone who has their own disciples who they've trained to be exorcists and cast out demons, all of a sudden when they see Jesus, the Son of God, doing the same thing, they are quick to just say, well, that's not by the power of God, it's by the power of Satan. In other words, they have just spoken and switched the, the, what, it, what just happened and they've attributed it to Satan instead of Jesus. I can see why it is unpardonable and unforgivable because they're speaking against God. They are basically mocking God and saying, that wasn't God who did it, it's Satan. They are giving glory to Satan and not God, right? I mean, it all absolutely makes sense. So the unpardonable sin, the sin then is defiant irreverence against the Holy Spirit. After having witnessed or experienced His presence and work, specifically through Jesus. Amen? That's what we see right there. So in essence, the Pharisees accused Jesus of being demon-possessed and thus doing the works and miracles He did by demonic and evil power. That is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. That is the unpardonable sin, if you will. So their blasphemy (laughs) was deliberate and it was aimed at Jesus specifically. Right? Come on, somebody, say something. So the unpardonable sin then is the deliberate refusal to acknowledge the presence and working of the Holy Spirit in and through Jesus while He was here on the earth. Right? We cannot argue that. We've seen that. That's what it is. Now, legalistic preachers, preachers who take things out of context, they told us and say, see, this is the truth that stands for all of us. So anyone who does, and and there's all kinds of different meanings attributed to this, but this is exactly what it is. It is when someone basically witnesses Jesus in person, perform miracles by the power of the Holy Spirit, and they say, no, that was satanic power that did that. And basically, they are trying to discredit Jesus himself right there and then. That's what it is. And in actual fact, (laughs) if you're not sure about that, Mark's account of the same thing clarifies it and shows us that. Watch this. Pay note to, pay special, uh, pay special attention at least to what I have emboldened, okay? Because that's what we're focusing on here. Watch this. Mark 3 verse 28 to 30 from the King James. Jesus speaking again here. Verily I say unto you, all sins will be forgiven unto the sons of men and blasphemies wherewith soever they shall blaspheme. But he that shall blaspheme against the Holy Ghost hath never forgiveness, but is in danger of eternal damnation. Watch us now. Because they said, He, that's Jesus, hath an unclean spirit. Can you see how it's very specific to Jesus? To Jesus in person here on earth. Right? Do you see that? That's absolutely clear. Matthew said it, Mark says it, and if you go look at the account of Luke, you'll see the same thing. And so (coughs) that's something we've got to make sure we pay close attention to. So based on everything that I've shared with you so far and what I've seen, I'd like to ask you a question. Can this type of blasphemy then be duplicated beyond the cross? Can the exact type of blasphemy against the Holy Spirit be duplicated beyond the cross. In other words, 
beyond Jesus being here on earth? The answer is no. Because Jesus would have to be here in person. We would have to see the Holy Spirit work through him. And then someone would have to say, that is the work of Satan. Those are the things that we have seen. Jesus is no longer with us in person. Yes, he's in us. He's with us. But he himself is not here. He's seated at the right hand of God. Right? Now, I know someone may be thinking, mm, I don't know about that. Well, then you tell me how you interpret what we've just read in Scripture. Because that's exactly what we have seen. What I want us to see and understand is, is that that is a very specific thing for a specific time. It was when those who were there in the presence of Jesus, the person of Jesus who was here on earth, they saw the wonderful work of the Holy Spirit flow through him, and they immediately, right there and then, out of <laughs> motives that are ungodly, decided to attribute that to Satan to discredit Jesus himself. And that's when Jesus said, that is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, and that will not be forgiven. Now you tell me, someone who's received salvation in Jesus has the Holy Spirit in them and with them. Do you really think that they're going to go and attribute something that God does to the devil? I mean, it makes no sense. It doesn't even compute to think that that would happen. And so why would believers today think that they could commit the unpardonable sin, that they could blaspheme the Holy Spirit. That's because they cannot. This doesn't really apply to us in our situation. Amen? And so, <laughs> I mean, if someone does that, then they're really truly not saved. And they, they would have to have Jesus there in person. Amen? So there's no reason for a New Covenant believer to live under the assumption or possibility that he or she has committed the unpardonable sin. It's just not possible. If for any reason someone feels that or thinks that, it is because Satan himself, the enemy, is playing mind games with that person, trying to actually get them away from where they actually are. Amen. Let's read Hebrews chapter 7 verse 25 as we come to an ending. It says the <coughs> from the Amplified, talking about Jesus, Therefore he, that's Jesus, is able to also is able also to save forever look at that completely perfectly for eternity those who come to god through him since he always lives to intercede and intervene on their behalf with god so the basis of our salvation is jesus and what he did to redeem us through the finished work of the cross and because of that we are saved forever because our trust and dependence is on Him. And because of that, we are eternally secure. And just to make sure, Jesus is seated at the right hand of God as the witness, as the advocate, as, <laughs> as the one who intercedes <coughs> excuse me, for you and I to say, Father, they are saved in me and through me. They're fine. And God just says, absolutely, they are fine. Amen. So, you know, to try and make it sound, to try and say that a believer can commit the unpardonable sin, that a believer can um, blaspheme the Holy Spirit, they would need to be unsaved and they would need to have Jesus there in person and watch the hand of the Holy Spirit work through him and then switch that and reverse it and say, no, that was the work of Satan. It just doesn't make sense doctrinally. And this is why it is a truth that is freeing to understand and know 
that a believer cannot and will not commit that unpardonable sin, that blaspheme against the Holy Spirit. Amen. We have an eternal and sure promise of redemption in Jesus, and nothing and no one can take that away from us. Amen. So if you love Jesus and have embraced salvation in Jesus, you have no need to be concerned about having committed or committing the unpardonable sin. Amen. We trust that you are blessed by this message. For more information about our ministry or to make a donation to help us continue spreading the gospel, please visit our website at redemptioninjesus.com.